dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host. And welcome one and all for another edition of Blunt Business here on CannabisRadio.com. So thankful to have all of you joining us. My next guest is a CEO of a platform that strives to increase diversity and inclusion within the emerging medical cannabis industry, ensuring that all communities, especially those of color, have an opportunity to participate in the economy of the future. With me now is the CEO of Uplift Maryland, Kevin Ford Jr. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. How you doing today? Doing really well. Thanks for making time. Uplift Maryland. I wanted to go and talk about the about the the setup. So it was founded on the principle, according to what I see in the uh, materials, to take what the generation before has created and elevate it to the next level. So now you were able to make something that was once illegal and incarcerated many black men and turn it into a positive by providing an educational opportunity, especially to those who have been marginalized by oppressive and unjust drug policies. Briefly talk to me, Kevin, about the research you undertook on the progress that has been made by other states, which you did yourself by uh, being able to go and look at what's being done in California and Colorado in specifics and how it compares to what you're looking to do in Maryland. Absolutely. So uh, I would say that my educational background is in marketing and, uh, that was one of the first things that I that I saw within the cannabis industry is that, you know, there was so much branding involved. And that's one thing that truly excited me. Um, so through that, I think when I, I saw the different types of brands that were coming up and then you start to have that differentiation between that the legacy market brands and the regulated brands. And then you starting to see that that intersection between all of them. Um, at this point, I think those were th- that's the most exciting part about this industry to me um, and, and really trying to figure out how we can uh, push our community to uh, transition some of those legacy market brands um, into the actual regulated industry. So out of curiosity, uh, we know that now. The talk of diversity, equality, and inclusion have been ramped up a lot based on a lot of current events going on right now. But prior to this, I mean, do you feel like it really that this the discussion only really warrants itself based on when there is a rise, like well, just based on when this new cycle changes itself? Or have you had significant progress getting this off the ground? Yeah, so um, I, I would say from the national perspective, this has definitely been – an, an issue on on the licensing front for many states, but Maryland in particular, where we're from, in the first round in 2015, um, there was an uproar um, by different applicants and just the black community in general um, to to say, "Hey, look, you know these licenses are coming out, but they don't seem to be going to any black folks." And um, from that point, the Legislative Black Caucus uh, called on the governor to conduct a disparity study, which then showed that African-Americans and Native Americans were at a much higher disadvantage um, to uh, really taking advantage of these opportunities that lie within this industry. Now, I want to make this point, and, and, I, and please I do understand, I mean, I support the idea of diversity, equality, and inclusion, but here's where I come from this perspective. 
Because the one thing is, out of what's being done, and you, you tell me, let me know what your thoughts on this. Because what I'm seeing on the news, what I'm seeing right now is being done by corporations. The fact that they are offering some concession, that there are some concessions being asked for. My question is, are the concessions being made really making a difference? Are, are they really, are they significant? Because making a change of something based on how it might offend someone's uh you know, their background or their, or their gender or what have you. I mean, just seeing those changes, are they significant enough changes as they are compared to what you're doing at Uplift Maryland? Because let me just explain. You talked to Warren Borbera at Forbes, and you mentioned that Uplift Maryland was recently awarded one of five grants by Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission, MMCC, to develop and implement an education and business development training program designed for small minority and women business owners and entrepreneurs interested in becoming licensed in the medical cannabis industry. You were also awarded a contract as well to develop a curriculum for Maryland's dispensary agent training program. So what I'm trying to get behind this is that you were given funds and resources to create something that is going to make a significant difference with education, with training, the curriculum, this program. When I don't see that same kind of, when the money's being allocated, I don't see the national spectrum doing the same thing. Right. Right. And so uh, just from that standpoint, and just to answer the first part of your question quickly, um, are are the efforts enough that we see um, that we've seen surrounding um, the George Floyd murder and the countless others that we've seen um, since and before then? Um, Honestly, a lot of it comes off as charity. And I don't, I know for a fact that, we Thank black you. folks are not looking for charity. We are looking for opportunity. And we understand that, you know, opportunity doesn't necessarily 100% come with um, success, but we want to have the, the fair opportunity to fail just like anyone else. Um, so that's why it's important for us um, to have conducted a program like this um, that kind of pushes uh, the the knowledge of these opportunities that exist um, to the forefront within our community. Um, I will say that we, through the program, we were able to train um, about 10% of the total applicant pool that applied for grower and processor licenses last year in 2019. And unfortunately, uh, nobody out of that 10% was in uh, the top scoring applications that could be awarded a license. Um, we're even seeing this year that these licenses in Maryland are again, held up by um, uh, different lawsuits and uh, different audits that have been forced upon by the uh, Legislative Black Council just to ensure that the intent of uh, a bill that was specifically passed to make 2019 an actual minority round to, you know, just ensure that this last round actually stood up to the intent of the bill. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing around the country today is that legislators are, are putting these these bills in place. Uh, however, the, the regulators are having a hard time implementing them um, due to different nuances that, you know, these large companies with great counsel have the opportunity to navigate around, whereas, you know, folks who don't necessarily have the uh, resources or connections to navigate them are having a harder time um, breaking in. And this is where I want to get at. I like the idea that, you know, you have certain communities that no matter what, I want people to have a seat at the table that earn the spot. 
it's all merit-based to me. That's where I want to come from. And when the opportunity is given, you know, listen, I'm all for the fact of people getting, you know, funds that are being brought out. If the government's going to offer this and they're going to have somebody that's going to come in and properly utilize it because so much money is misspent in a, in a general sense anyway. I love the right. fact that, see, this is coming in and the results. Again, you are going to bring out people that are going to be ready to go. They're going to be viable and ready to go ahead and jump into the cannabis industry, an industry that is welcoming the space to create the EI. I love that fact. But my thing is, just like you said before, I don't, I don't, I can't relate to anyone who wants to have any kind of a victim mentality or feeling like right. there has to be a handout. I can't do that. Right. It's for those that have the wherewithal and have the effort they want to make and, and apply themselves. Because if they apply themselves, that's all that matters. So then, and then let's go ahead and reward those people for the application, for what they do. And I want for people to go as far as they go. I don't like the high, uh, I wouldn't want, you know, for, I want the diversity for the fact that I want great ideas, great creativity coming into the top of the space and it trickles right. down. I think that's, that's how every company should run. I 100% agree. Um, you know, just coming from the type of background um, that I came from, I came from a medical family. Um, literally from my grandparents, my parents, aunt and uncles, all medical professionals. Um, so for me, it's, you know, I, I so happen to be one of those of the few who have the types of uh, connections and resources to push a little bit further. Um, but I, I do want to say that, you know, a lot of the uh, individuals who have been victimized by the war on drugs um, are those who are lower income who might be, um, you know, selling cannabis or, or, or selling drugs just because they're trying to um, make just sustain their family and their household, you know? And I think that it's even more important that as we look at diversity, equity, and inclusion to make sure that we empower um, those individuals who might not be as fortunate as folks like myself um, to be able to come out of their current situation and, and hopefully rise above that in, in a legal uh, uh, framework. I like where that's going. I'm here with Kevin Ford Jr., the CEO of Uplift Maryland. And, you know, we'll go ahead and have a few more things we're going to talk about when it comes to the area of policymaking and when it comes to the critical importance, uh, importance of social equity. I want to go ahead and fall more into the subject. We're going to go ahead and continue with more conversation here with Kevin Ford here on Blunt Business after a brief break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm here with Kevin Ford Jr., CEO of Uplift Maryland. And by the way, while we're doing the program here, 
feel free to go ahead and go over to upliftmaryland.co so you can check out everything that's going on with their one-stop shop for medical cannabis certification, education, and business development training. Also on Twitter, at Uplift Maryland. Now, Kevin, I uh, want to go ahead and ask you about, at the time of this recording, we're recording in early September, just before Labor Day. So we'll see how everything goes on with the vote. But in this month, uh, House Majority Whip James Clyburn, Democrat of South Carolina, announced that lawmakers would be voting on a bill to decriminalize marijuana federally. So if they even go to this and the House goes to a vote, you know, it still doesn't say anything about where things will go after the fact. We'll still have time to see how things pan out. But the idea is um, they want to go ahead and decriminalize marijuana federally, leaving regulation up to the states. And the vote would be the first time either Chamber of Commerce a chamber of Congress, excuse me, have voted on decriminalization of marijuana. So Clyburn said the House would take up the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, M-O-R-E, which was introduced by uh, Gerald Nadler, rep- representative of New York, uh, removing marijuana from Controlled Substances Act, and it would also expunge prior marijuana-related convictions and pose a 5% sales tax, which, which the federal government would reinvest in communities harmed by the war on drugs through the creation of an Opportunity Trust Fund. So about that legalization, that, that opportunity, how much would this kind of legalization accomplish? And is there more to be added if this were to be passed, in your opinion? I think that um, from the standpoint of the uh, general public and those who might not necessarily be interested in cannabis, the industry, but are fully entrenched in, in cannabis, the commodity, I think that this is a, a, a beautiful bill. Um, because this more so speaks to um, patients or consumers who um, basically protecting them from from any type of uh, federal prosecution. And I think that um, that's important when you when you look at um, states and and how certain states there the I guess the percentage of or the multiple of um, black arrest to white arrest is is ridiculous and i'm certain that this um is going to be one thing um that can slow or start to curb um that trend here in america Uh, but it's still so much more that that's needed to be done especially when you're talking about uh, diversity equity inclusion um to to really ensure that the people who have been uh, uh, most affected by um, the wrongs that the Morat corrects um, to, as I said, give them that opportunity. I guess where I'm coming from with this, I don't like the, I, yes, the decriminalization I can, I can appreciate where in that respect where the federal government takes the label away. The Controlled Substances Act, you know, they take that where marijuana is no longer scheduled. I am totally 100% with that. My issue would just be that that 5% tax, how it will be deviated from a federal level. And then on top of that, it's not being done by states. What I'd rather go ahead and see businesses being taxed and let the states handle the taxation of that and let that money go towards them and have individual state funds or these opportunity trust funds, as they say, instead of having a national fund. Would you, th- this is where I come from, where I'm a, I've been a proponent of the States Act myself, where the states will go and determine as they go along, but then again, the government recognizes that cannabis is legal overall, based on those states. Right. What do you think about the fact of having a confederal the state? Because, at least for me, I would think that having the state, working with the state as opposed to working with the federal government would be the better option. 
I would agree wholeheartedly. I think that, you know, the states are a little bit more equipped to deal with their own citizens. Um, and I, I personally think that 5% is, is high for federal tax. And especially when you look at the trends of um, the state tax that has come on the adult use and recreational uh, markets. Um, I, I 100% agree with you that, that, you know, the taxes should likely be divvied out from the state level, but um, there have been certain states that have said that they were going to do certain things like this. And I think even outside of cannabis, another great example of this, especially here, is gaming, where yeah. they said, you know, hey, we're going to bring in all these casinos, this money is going to go towards education, but yet nothing is necessarily changed. And I think that this uh, this is a, a, a different type of model that, um, like you said, it comes from just the federal side versus the state side. But I 100% agree with you that I would prefer um, these programs being rolled out at the state level rather than the federal level. And Kevin, I like the comparison you brought the gaming to this because of the fact that at this point, as we are reopening for the pandemic, I mean, our economy is doing pretty well. You know, just seeing right now, just the you know, stock market is, is, is made its way back to where it was at previous levels prior to March 23rd when everything went to hell. The thing is now is that with gaming and with cannabis, I mean, the tax revenue and the money that can be made and the opportunities that can be made right now, I'm seeing where online gaming is working its way into the, the casinos because the casinos, since they're going to have a tough, a tougher time trying to go ahead and recoup and, and try to, you know, engage people to come back to their casinos from an international perspective, the kind of traffic they had before to rebuild that's going to take a long time, probably more than a year, maybe two years. The idea of having the online gaming is made available. And cannabis, we've heard about it back in March. Yahoo actually put out a story saying the fact that cannabis should be brought up as a policymaking standard because if you're looking to go ahead and get the economy back up and roaring, bring cannabis into the conversation again. Let's get this legalization passed. Absolutely. I I, I agree with you 100% on that as well. I think it's uh, extremely important to to get legislation like that passed and to, you know, just ensure that we can um, essentially just move forward with, uh, with, with progress. And usually most times when there is a little bit of progress, then you hit two steps back and then one step forward. But I, I think that if all these things start to work in conjunction together, that um, we'll see much, uh, uh, much larger difference, uh, uh, much a much larger difference being made um, on the state levels. Yep. Forbes recently ran an op-ed talking about the critical importance of social equity in the cannabis industry. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Now, here's this is from Robert Hoven, who wrote the story. Quote, it's no secret that the prohibition of cannabis disproportionately and adversely impacted people of color. To counter this, many states and cities have implemented social equity programs in connection with the legalization of medical or adult use cannabis. So as, as with every country, every state has come along and has offered to go ahead and, uh, you know, when they've actually went ahead and create legalization in that state, there have been opportunities being made for those like for those being second chances or things of that nature. So with that said, they, in this story, he says social equity deals with justice and fairness within social policy. These programs attempt to ensure that people of color and those with marijuana offenses prior to legalization be afforded an opportunity to participate meaningfully in the industry. So now Colorado, one of the first states regulated, have recently only recent taken recently taken action on this front. 
and other programs have had limited success. And as an industry, we're looking for ways to craft better public policy by surveying the results in other jurisdictions nationally and globally. Many problems remain with the implementation of these programs, end quote. So what kind of balance do you think would work best with these measures to foster DEI? Should they be implemented with a consideration of merit and performance or from the perspective of allyship? Because I think that's where that's where the the collusion is right now. The confusion might be is that it's I think some of the programs being put together are kind of being put up as almost like a, a capitulation as it is being something really tangible and very effective. Right. Um, so I think for me and a lot of what we've been fighting for in Maryland is to essentially open it up, remove the license caps on uh, on the license types, particularly the growers and processors. And I think being able to do that um, gives not only the, the newly interested um, uh, business owners, but also the established uh, companies in the market already uh, an opportunity to grow. So it's almost like a lifting as you climb. So like when you talk about allyship and even looking at what Cresco is doing um, in in the North, um, mm-hmm. I think their seed program is great, but how, especially in Maryland, so we're running into an issue where the Wholesale Trade Association is essentially trying to block um, social equity licenses or any type of licenses that could be brought up but however, I understand even just from my experience with government that it's so important to kind of massage both sides. So like, you know, what even with this more act and looking at the 5%, that was probably thrown in there for somebody to feel like, okay, you know, this has to be in here from in order for me to vote for this. And I think that's what we need to do on the other right. side is to make sure that as we were talking about these growth measures that we're not... Uh, uh, that we're not necessarily forgetting those who have already came into the into the market. So, for example, in Washington, when you look at the number, the large number of licenses that were issued, you know, only about 70, 25 percent of those businesses um, were actually able to get up and operational. And I think only about 10 percent of them are actually operating still today. Um, and in order to uh, uh, I guess, limit the amount of risk involved of failure, I think it's important to allow um, uh, uh, certain companies who may already be up and running to be able to have um, maybe some type of minority interest in uh, these additional licensees to ensure that, uh, number one, um, the current players are, are able to grow their businesses, but two, that the new players aren't necessarily put in a situation where they don't have the correct expertise, whether cannabis or business to actually um, succeed. So I think that figuring out a proper model that includes allyship as long with some resources is necessary in order to um, really have a market that truly flourishes, because I would hate to see, you know, uh, all these different opportunities that come about, but yet we're not providing the right resources for people to actually um, succeed in the market. And this is where the, the fact of allyship, I'm worried about the fact that I don't want allyship to be a come and go kind of deal. I also don't want it to be, because I mean, I look at, at Hollywood, I look at academia, when you have large institutions, 
that are stuck in their ways for a long time. And I'd rather see this where, where things are broken up, where there's the opportunities being brought up to go ahead and, you know, raise everybody up to the same level. I don't like the idea of seeing where, you know, you have these larger institutions, people of power, people of control, you know, of influence, say, in politics. They're saying, OK, we're going to do, we're going to throw a bone here. But again, it's like the bone doesn't need to be thrown. Let me in. Let me in the conversation. Let me in the door. And inclusion is and I think that's what's happening is like people are noticing diversity. But I think the equity and inclusion is being dissuaded. I don't think people are looking at Absolutely. it enough. Right. And because I, I think that, you know, once you're once you're the king, it's like, do you really want to give up power? And by bringing people to the table who have equity in these businesses, now you're giving up some of the power you're giving up, even especially in Maryland, a lot of the value in these companies doesn't lie in the actual operation of the business, but in the license. So now you're giving up your lottery ticket for, you know, the 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 resale value. Um, that a, a lot of these larger companies are really looking forward to as we continue to push forward towards federal legalization. Because everybody sees the inherence of diversity. But again, it's equity and inclusion that need to be created all together. And Correct. I don't see enough of that out there. And this is where I see where I see a lot of this, uh, a lot of these organizations with what's happened right now in the news, with what we've seen in terms of, uh, you know, just all the issues we have right now without getting into detail. I'll try to keep the show as apolitical as possible. The fact of the matter is we need to be able to see where all those three aspects are brought into every part. And this is where I think, you know, with cannabis, you know, yeah, sure. We have a lot of people that are brought in from a Fortune 500 mentality or they came from that business world and they're coming into a, in particular businesses to take over. Hey, good on them. They're bringing great business sense. But hopefully what they also do is they come in with, you know, on the mindset of saying, OK, we're not going to do the same old, same old business. This is a different industry. And that's why I always talk about with cannabis. There's a heritage. There is you know, a history that goes behind this that every business owner should understand and should appreciate. And that this is an evolving modern industry that is understanding of what might have been done incorrectly from other institutions and other industries in the past. This one's going to be, you know, evolving. This one's going to be, you know, with the times. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And um, I, I, that's why I'm so excited to see how it begins to evolve. Um, I think that there are just uh, a number of opportunities that we don't even know about yet that are going to uh, start to to pop up, especially when you look at the, the future of just science and cannabis in general and looking at isolating uh, more cannabinoids and more terpenes and even trying to figure out the the proper mixes for proper efficacy for for dosages i think there's there's just so much excitement on the horizon that i'm uh, uh really just looking forward to having the opportunity to be a part of exactly uh once again i'm here with kevin ford ceo of uplift maryland and, and bottom line is getting involved you know uh, kudos to you i got to talk to you about your association now with the ncia of course we know them very well here on cannabis radio going to ask you about you serving on one of their committees we're going to talk about that after a short break again i'm here with kevin ford ceo of uplift maryland and again that's upliftmaryland.co take a look at the website and find out everything about they're doing with their education business development training and more back after a short message rolling into some sponsors but we'll be right back with more blunt business 
Oh, lady marijuana llama, tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. Business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. I hope you didn't forget about us, because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. I'm here with final questions with Kevin Ford Jr., the CEO of Uplift Maryland. Kevin, I really appreciate you taking time to again answer questions with me and having this conversation. We don't have it. All, we we do have this conversation. Really, just comes around as you know the 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 people that come on board that are able to appear on the show as it happens. I don't make it a point to say I need to go and talk about the EI on a regular basis. It's just when the right people come along with the right conversation, you know, I'm open to it. And that's what I love, and that's why I'm glad we got this conversation together today. Now, you are serving on the NCIA, the National Cannabis Industry Association's State Regulations Committee. Uh, I, must, I can't go on with talking about NCIA without talking about it. Please go listen to their podcast, NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Bethany Moore does a fantastic job on that show. Shout out to her and her team. Uh, really love working with them for the last several years on their program and at their conferences. They're, they're amazing. So... This state regulations committee was founded on the principle of power in numbers. The committee's primary function is to help and advise NCIA on how to execute the goals and mission of the association as defined by the staff, board of directors, and policy council, and also it assists NCIA's policy council decision-making by providing expertise and industry experience through the creation of a body of knowledge to support the cannabis industry. So having yourself brought into a committee that's part of the largest lobbying arm for cannabis in the country, you know, talk to me about being approached by the NCAA and the agenda that you have under discussion that you can help, you can tell our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I became an NCIA member last December and I've been uh, very interested in just the, the, the work that they've been doing. Um, but state regulations committee really stuck out to me uh, for a number of reasons. Number one is because um, most of the minorities that I saw on the website who were on certain committees were on the DEI committee. And I think just from my background and the, the fight that we've been putting forth here in Maryland uh, to increase uh, diversity, equity and inclusion, I thought it would be best for me to serve on a different committee, but bringing that mindset to the table. Um, so I'm really excited because I'm going to be on the uh, social equity subcommittee. Um, also looking forward to being on the informing local government subcommittee. And there, there was another topic that came up that talked about transitioning uh, states from medical to adult use. So um, I actually registered to become a lobbyist in both Maryland and D.C. Um, for this upcoming legislative session. Um, so I'm really looking forward to having an opportunity to take um a lot of what I'll be learning at NCIA to properly inform um, the General Assembly here in Maryland of uh, the way that we should likely proceed to make sure that we include diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, into the adult use uh, cannabis market that, that could be presented as legislation as early as uh, January 21. 
Sounds great. I'm glad you're going to be part of this group and that you're helping to go ahead and put a definite voice that's necessary for to really come into the conversation for all these committees. So it's great to hear that's going on. And, you know, I, I just hope that down the line that, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion be just, just become commonplace within the industry. And hopefully there's a time and a place where that actually happens because I think it's very important. And I just... I want people just to be forward-thinking minds, and I hope that that kind of forward-thinking is what makes this industry grow as it's going to in the coming years and decades. Yeah, agreed. So uh, before we go and wrap up, I want to go and just get, take a minute to talk to our listeners about how they can learn more about Uplift Maryland, the programs. Um, is it only available in Maryland? And you know what you could tell people for those that are interested in learning more and possibly participating? Absolutely. So uh at Uplift, we are obviously trying to go through the same transition that most companies are going through and mostly switching over to uh, virtual style. Uh, most of our events uh, in our first two years were in person, but we're really excited about the um, events that we have coming up. Um, we have um, received a sponsorship from uh, Select to put on a community series. Uh, that is specifically for the Maryland cannabis market. So if you're interested in learning more about the Maryland cannabis market, you can go to upliftmaryland.co slash community series um, and register from there. Uh, we also recently um, partnered with the Can Atlantic Conference, which is a conference that's going to touch on uh, many of the mid-Atlantic states and as well as D.C. and uh, really just industry updates on, on their specific markets. So very excited about that. And then as far as uh, Maryland versus a national um, uh, platform, um, we're really looking to uh, move towards a national platform. We're actually in the process of changing over uh, some of our branding material, which, as I mentioned earlier, branding definitely excites me. But um, so we're going to be implementing a, a subscription model uh, that would uh, provide um, education, training classes, uh, and, and different um, different social content um, where people all across the country will be able to uh, come and be a part of our, our tight-knit uh, uh, minority medical cannabis market. Well, not market, but uh, minority medical cannabis uh, uh, community, should I say. You know, it's amazing where I'm hearing all that's going on right now. Uh, Maryland already has, and I meant to bring this up, but I just I'm also just pulling some of the information to the ground. MarylandMatters.org put out a story, and they talk about how there have been changes where, where there has been a little bit of more forward thinking in terms of decriminalization, because there is a partial decriminalization law in Maryland for the last three years, because uh, they're saying that the fact in the story, Maryland's incarceration rate is seventy percent black, while black citizens make up thirty percent of the state residents. And the idea is that so far, 14, what is it, 1,450 people, including six, six juveniles, were arrested for marijuana possession charges. And they're uh, trying to get these arrest records expunged and sealed and getting persons released, jailed for nonviolent possession, that at least things are trying to go in the right direction. At least there's a decriminalization effort going on in Maryland. Plus, you know, there's also the, the room that's up and forward for possible adult use legalization of Maryland, which unfortunately isn't on the ballot this year or no? It's not on the ballot this year, but oh, I, yeah. I know that they are looking to uh, push it through as legislation likely in the upcoming session in 2021. And with that said, 
Do they ever say much about how D.C., because of their legalization, that is there any kind of an issue in between where Maryland might not be able to get to that extra level because of the fact that D.C. is so nearby? No. So, uh, I mean, I, I guess that really just, you know, is, is separation of powers between state, state as well as uh, the District of Columbia. So District of Columbia, they are having their issues because they technically don't have statehood. And the federal government would have to sign off on them having rec- recreational sales, which is um, it seems like a no go right now, obviously, because uh, marijuana is still federally illegal. Um, but I'm interested to see how um, the Moore Act, when that passes, um, could affect um, D.C.'s ability to be able to have a recreational cannabis market. Yeah. There's a lot of room to move forward. There's a lot of room to, to grow in Maryland, and I'm glad you're there to help uplift, uplift Maryland, and that's, you know, pun intended. And <laughs> you gotta, you got to get it set up. And I hope that this kind of program that you're offering is something that you can also, uh, this kind of curriculum, this kind of program is also being offered to other states, or if you've, if you've considered doing anything about that, if that's something that can be, you know, standardized, I would love to see Absolutely. that happen someday. Absolutely. And that's what we're in the process of now. The uh, subscription uh, model that I spoke of, uh, when you subscribe to the Uplift platform, you'll have access to um, the general classes. We'll have um, the courses based off of either actual plant touching businesses or even if you're trying to uh, start an ancillary business. Um, And then also we have courses like the dispensary agent training program on there as well, which would um, be a, a more generic uh, program rather than based on uh, Maryland specifically. There we go. Kevin Ford with Uplift Maryland. Thanks so much for making time to join us here on Blunt Business. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. A pleasure as well. And thank you for listening to another Blunt Business. We'll talk to you next time. expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.